Hi, I'm Paul Haverschrud, host of The Cost of Living. It's a show about money and how it shapes our lives. In big ways, like why inflation could get worse if we all make more money. Here's the hard truth in all of this. Workers are going to have to eat that real wage loss. And small ways, like what's the fastest way to order fast food? That first Big Mac that comes out of the kitchen is going to the drive-thru. Check out The Cost of Living. We're on CBC Listen or wherever you get podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Hi, I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. Welcome to The Dose. This week, everything that's new and we hope a lot clearer about wearing masks. My guest is Dr. Lenora Saxinger. Lenora, how are you doing? I'm good, thank you. Uh, what's your favorite mask that you've seen out there? Um, favorite in terms of amusement or favorite in terms of being likely effective? Because I see both. <laughs> <laughs> Let's try amusement first. With the uh, ceremonies for the presidential election, I did notice that President Biden's mask actually looked for all the world like a feed bag to me. It was hanging off his face so badly. So I think that there is you know, something to be said for discussing mask fit in our conversation today for sure. I have to say, as far as fashion is concerned, I like the masks that that have messages on them, like, if you're reading this, you're too close. Actually, I like that. That's pretty sassy. I think that's good. I also have been amused to hear that uh, I've had friends mention that their kids who they sent to school with masks come home with different masks because they're switching them around. (laughs) What? And so... (laughs) Yeah, so like went to school with a mask and came home with like a Spider-Man mask because there was some trading going on. And I'm like, oh, dear, that's very bad. That's not that's not very good infection control practice. Lenora, why don't you give us a hi, my name is just ad lib it and give us your titles. Sure. Uh, My name is Dr. Lenora Saxinger. I'm an infectious diseases specialist at the University of Alberta. Okay, here we go. Almost a year into this pandemic, you might think you know how to wear a mask properly. But do you? Last week, the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention suggested wearing two masks based on new data. And now the more transmissible COVID variants are here in Canada, and one of them, B117, could be the dominant strain in a matter of weeks. So should you wear a double mask? And what about cloth versus surgical masks? Should you wear a mask outdoors? So many questions. This week on The Dose, we're answering these and all your mask questions, and I can't think of anyone better than Lenore Saxinger to talk Masks 101 with me. Dr. Saxinker, welcome back to The Dose. Thanks for having me again. So let's address double masking first. Should people be wearing two masks? My answer to that is probably a firm maybe. Um, (laughs) I think that, yeah, exactly. For a long time, we've known that multiple layers on a mask do probably improve their filtration efficiency. And so if you are running around with those really, really super breathable, thin, single-layer masks that are fairly porous fabric, then I think double masking actually would be a useful thing to do because it will, you know, potentially decrease the amount of particles you can emit and it might protect you better as well. By adding layers, right? Like just just strict out layering. And sometimes depending on the fit of the mask, having more than one mask might allow you to achieve a better fit. And so that's another important thing. So we're talking about layers and fit. And so I think those are the two things to keep in mind more so than how many masks, because, because you might actually have a mask that has multiple layers that's well-constructed that, you know, wearing another one would just be uncomfortable. One mask with three layers is probably good enough, right? Yep. The WHO had some nice technical specifications for this that I refer people to, but the inner layer is a bit absorbent. The outer layer is a bit um, non-absorbent. So like a hydrophilic inner layer and a hydrophobic outer layer. And it's nice if one of the layers is a melt-blown or spun-bound fabric like polypropylene, 
because it's a nice filter. And so a mask like that or a mask of three layers of fabric with different types of fabric that fits well to the face, I don't think you have to worry about doing anything too different because in a lot of studies, uh, well-constructed cloth masks can actually work very similarly to the surgical masks that I rely on when I'm in the hospital. So what did the study cited by the CDC actually find? They did something different and good, which is a lot of the studies to date have used different types of aerosolized particles um, to do the testing. This actually used virus um, as part of this procedure, and they basically had two mannequin heads pseudo-coughing at each other with different masks on, and then measuring the amount of virus that was getting through the masks. And it did suggest, at least in those conditions, which was using a mannequin head and a certain type of mask, that increasing the number of layers and actually the fit of the masks actually did make a difference to the penetration of virus through the mask. And the the other thing that I found interesting about it, you know, researchers found that layering a cloth mask over a medical procedural mask, such as a disposable blue surgical mask, blocked 92.5% of potentially infectious particles from escaping. It sounded to me, they used the word cinching. So that sounds to me as if the outer mask tightened up the the inner uh, surgical mask. Am I right? Yeah, so I think that some of the effect at least was in improving the fit. It wasn't necessarily related to the layering. And one thing you'll notice when you walk around looking at people wearing masks, which is all we look at when we look at people these days, is that, you know, the same mask, like in the hospital, the standard size masks fit people very differently. And some people have huge gaps um, along the sides of their face, under their chin, around their nose. And you can sometimes actually improve the fit a great deal just by changing the way that you're wearing the mask. And so the other thing they found was if you twist the ear loops, if you're wearing an ear loop style mask, sometimes that brings the side closer to your face. Now, I've also seen that backfire and then drag the mask away from their face. So it just depends on your shape. But any measures that you can take that bring the mask closer to your face likely is going to make a difference. And I think that that makes good sense, honestly. And of course, every time you touch your mask, you need to wash your hands. I'm, I'm trying to remember all this stuff that we have to remember. But but getting back to what you're talking about right now, you're really talking about the three Fs, fit, form, and function. So let's start with fit. How should a mask fit? Okay, so when you look at yourself wearing the mask or look at someone else, when you turn your head, you shouldn't see a lot of airspace between the side of the mask and your cheek. You shouldn't see a gap under the chin and the nose piece. Um, the wire should be adjusted so that it's sitting flush to the face. And, you know, a sign of that not working well is if your glasses are fogging up a whole lot, there's a lot of air coming out the top of your mask. And another thing that people might notice is if they have a mask that's more, uh, I guess, less breathable, so the airflow, there's more resistance to airflow through the mask, that you'll notice more kind of bypass around the sides and the top of the mask. And so you also want to make sure that the air is passing through the mask, not around the sides of the mask. You've already mentioned this. The CDC study recommended knotting the mask strings for a better fit. So walk us through how do you need to knot your mask? No, I actually find that that really bothers my ears more. And I personally get a better fit if I use a mask extender kind of going over the crown of my head. The place where the straps have to go to pull the mask flush to your face might vary from person to person. And so if you find that um, that basically just shortens the straps a little bit. And so it might hold it closer to your face by doing that. Um, you can often get the same effect if you have straps that you tie them tighter, or if you use a mass extender around the back of your head um, that kind of pulls it, I guess, up and against your face at a bit more of a angle towards the top of your head, that often improves the fit as well. So any of those things I think are reasonable and people should only do the little, you take the mask, you loop the ear loop, 
um, in, in a twist and then you put it over your ear. They should only do that if it actually improves the fit. And how do you, like you, you've mentioned looking to see if air is leaking. Can you breathe in and out? And, and do you get any clues by breathing in and out once you've fitted the mask that, that air is not leaking out the sides of the mask, that you're just breathing out through the mask? You know what's really funny is I'm putting on a mask as we speak so that I can actually try to describe this. So Great. You hear my mask going on. Mm-hmm. And here's the thing. So when I'm doing this, I'll take that off so I can talk. When I did that, I actually could feel air bypassing at the side of my mask. So I could just put my hand at the side of my mask and I could feel more bypass until I pulled the mask tighter. And so you can feel air bypass. And then you can also have the sensation of whether or not air is basically flowing through the mask in front of you. And sometimes the effect you get is that as you breathe in and out, it's kind of sucking against your nose and mouth. That's actually kind of a good sign that air is is flowing through the mask instead of around it as well. So you've already touched on this a little bit, but I want to I kind of I want to kind of nail this down. You know, is it better to wear a surgical mask or a cloth mask? Let's assume that that either of them are three layers. The advantage of the surgical mask is that they are standardized, at least most of them. I think there are some poor quality masks out there, so buyer beware. But the downside of all these disposable things is that there's vast amounts of manufacturing that go into them, and there's a vast amount of garbage coming out of them. In fact, there is reasonable data that a well-performing cloth mask can work pretty much as well as a surgical mask, and that a surgical mask for me is actually good protection even when people have known COVID in hospital. So a well-performing cloth mask can be a very good option. I find it very regretful and sad that we don't have clear standards on the cloth masks that are being sold and that they're quite variable um, in fit, in function, and that there's no real assessment of that. But if you can acquire a mask with those characteristics, I actually have a slight preference for cloth masks in the community just because of the sustainability and the fact that they can work very well. Let's move on to face shields. They're not adequate on their own, of course, but how much added protection do they give when worn over a mask? Now, in healthcare settings, um, based on other coronavirus data, they seem to add some protection. Um, You know, you might see an estimated additional protection of another 10% of protection, for example, with a face shield. And there's not a whole lot of direct data from SARS-CoV-2, COVID-19 yet on the utility of face shields, but there's enough of an implication that, you know, some eye protection is useful. If people wear glasses and they're reasonably sized glasses, they actually probably offer a degree of protection. And then the whole face shield question in the community, we did go through a phase of seeing people wanting to use those instead of masks. I think that's a terrible idea. If you want to use them in addition, I think it's a reasonable thing to do. Let's move on to uh, a bit of controversy um, that has to do with function. You've partly addressed function, but I want to talk about respirator masks like like N95s and KN95s. I want to ask, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit because I know there's been a lot of talk lately, even more than a few months ago, that there's much more airborne transmission of COVID-19 than, than we're talking about. And in that case, an N95 mask would be quite necessary. So should people beyond healthcare professionals be wearing N95 masks? What do you think? That's I am putting you on the spot. As you've mentioned, this is a pretty contentious issue. And I, I would say that it's gotten a bit unnecessarily polarized because at the end of the day, I think there's a lot of agreement that there has been aerosol transmission. And I mean, even since fairly early outbreak reports where we've seen outbreaks where the spread was best explained by a more airborne type of transmission, And yet the overall pattern of transmission has not been that of a strictly airborne organism. So I think a lot of people were evolving to think that it's 
a kind of opportunistic airborne uh, pathogen where in some settings with some type of infected source, um, you know, they have a high viral load, they, the way they breathe, they emit more particles, which is actually a thing that apparently varies person to person. Um, the airflow in the room and the space, that those things can actually lead to airborne type transmission. So I think there's been, you know, some better understanding of the places where airborne transmission might be more important. And yet at the same time, when we look at the overall data, we still see most people who acquire infection have been in close face-to-face contact with an infected person, sometimes for an extended period of time. So the overall pattern still is not that of a dominant airborne pathogen. It's more of a sometimes airborne pathogen, I think. So the problem with N95s, for one thing, regular masks will still help. They will still offer some protection. The problem with N95 and other respirator masks is that they, because they have a much higher, I guess, filtration efficiency requirement, that is absolutely crucial that they fit very, very closely to the face. And the fitting is actually something that you cannot judge by the way they feel. Right. So there's been a lot of publications that when you put on an N95 mask, it feels pretty tight because it is pretty tight and it's uncomfortable, but that does not actually guarantee a good seal on your face. And if you go through the process of fit testing in healthcare, where they put basically a chamber over your head and squirt some bitter material into the air, and then if you can taste it, you know that your mask is leaky. And if people are just relying on the discomfort of the mask to think that it's fitting them properly, that is misleading. I'm looking forward to kind of learning more as we go through, because I think the, uh, the debate has focused a lot of scientific activity in this area, and I, th- I think it will actually get better. But in the meantime, I think there's some real drawbacks to those masks because not everyone can be fit tested and they're kind of hard to wear. Let's let's get back to more of a real world example. What about wearing masks outside? Is that advisable as the variants become more prevalent? You know, this is an interesting, interesting one, because if you think about it, when we look at ventilation as a factor that has you know, appropriately gotten attention, ventilation outdoors is essentially infinite, right? So yep. to actually breathe in someone else's droplets of whatever size outdoors, you have to be pretty close to them and the air can't be moving that much. I will maintain that I still feel outdoors is much lower risk than indoors. And in most data, it's 20 times higher risk indoors than outdoors in terms of transmission risk. And when we do look for outbreaks in outdoor settings, which there was a database that um, I'd been following for a while where they were uploading like outbreak investigations, The only ones that I could really find were things like outbreaks at construction company sites. And in there, the question was always, well, did they have a break room? Did they have a shared bathroom? Like, do they have a canteen? Or is this actually outdoors transmission? And that's been one of the questions all along. So looking for well-verified outdoors transmission is pretty rare. One exception might be, it seems like there's been some cases attributed to contact sports, where you basically exhaling forcefully into someone else's face when you collide with them or something like that. That I think would be a risk activity. If you're actually just out and about outdoors on your own and you're keeping distance from others, I think a mask is unlikely to add protection for you or others. If you're going to be in closer kind of face-to-face contact with people, I think that it is reasonable and polite to wear a mask. And I guess if it has become the social norm in the area that you are to wear a mask outside, it is also reasonable and polite to wear a mask. But I don't know if it's adding as much protection. So has anything changed about who should wear a mask in light of these variants? I'm thinking of kids, for instance, under the age of two, where the advice was that they didn't need them. I think that kids still are relatively protected in terms of being less likely to acquire infection, less likely to spread infection. 
that sort of starts to break down a little bit with older age ranges and is probably breaking down a little bit with the variants, but, but not as much as you might think. Some of the concerns with putting masks on very little kids have been safety concerns choking hazards, um, you know, breathing hazards and the like. I think that kids of a certain age can manage. Like I think a kid who's like, I don't know, maybe four or five might be able to manage a mask for periods of time. But the risk benefit equation does change for the very little. And I would I would hate to cause them harm while trying to protect them when we can actually protect them in other ways by being attentive to who they're in contact with and distancing and the other measures. Interestingly, the CDC has said uh, kids over the age of two can wear masks. Yeah, I don't know if they've met that many three-year-olds. <laughs> I, I guess can is, is a thing. I guess, like, if you, I think that that might be a little bit um, kid-dependent. So Canada's mask guidelines have not changed since November before the variant showed up. Health Canada currently recommends the use of a three-layer non-medical mask with a filter layer. Um, with what we know about aerosol transmission of the coronavirus with all the questions thereof should these guidelines be updated right now no i think it's a bit of a moving target right now and to be honest what they were describing in november actually reflected the best mass practice that we currently have honestly um i know some countries have actually moved to suggesting like procedure masks for everyone and I'll be interested to see if any data arising from that suggests that it makes a difference. But when you look at the actual impact of community-wide masking on epidemics overall, it's usually an add-on that's kind of relatively modest benefit. I mean, there's benefit, but a relatively modest benefit compared to all the other things that happen, usually around the same time as the mask mandate. And so the incremental benefit, I think, is, is still something that we would need to see. And I think that there could be some downsides as well in terms of supply and sustainability, et cetera. Now, on the other hand, we want to protect people. One of the big things that I think is really going to be a hot topic is why the variants are more transmissible, because that would better help us tailor our advice on prevention. So I think the best quality mask that fits you well, that's multi-layered and kind of sticking with the original game plan, but very, very well is good interim advice. And it would be important to be able to see how things are evolving with the data to see why the extra transmissibility, because it might actually might actually make us make a bigger change in our recommendations around protective equipment. It's just not clear yet. You know, if you look at CBC News COVID-19 inbox, many Canadians still have lots of questions around masks and even confusion. How concerned are you about compliance with mask wearing guidelines and best practices, given that confusion? I actually think people have sort of, I mean, it's got to the point now where if I look at a picture of unmasked people from the before times, I kind of freak out a little bit inside. So I think that there's been extensive normalization of mask wearing as part of our culture right now. And I think that the real challenge is trying to keep up the quality of the practices around that. And even within healthcare, that's something that is is a, a pretty verifiable risk factor for acquiring infection is if you get lax on the PPE, donning and doffing, especially doffing, um, you are at higher risk. And so it's almost like it becomes so normal, you're not paying as much attention anymore. And I think that that's kind of the space where we could spend a little bit more time in, in helping people try to build these sustainable habits and try to help them pick the most high impact things to spend their time and effort on because everyone's really tired. We're not quite there yet in terms of the knowledge from the variants. And I think being cautious is very good. But, you know, being able to say these are the priority things that we all really need to do really well all the time and making it very simple and clear, I think would benefit people somewhat. 
You know what? Got to leave it there, but uh, we could have spoken for hours. Thank you so much for speaking with me. Thanks. It was fun talking to you. That was Dr. Lenora Saxinger. She's an infectious diseases specialist and an associate professor at the University of Alberta. Here's your smart update on masks and COVID-19. Masks do a good job of filtering out COVID virus particles. In general, you can wear cloth masks or surgical or medical masks. Cloth masks are easier on the environment because they're washable and reusable. The masks that provide optimal protection have three layers, two layers of 100% cotton and an inner layer of non-woven polypropylene composite. A recent study by the U.S. Centers for Disease Control found that double masking may boost the protection from the coronavirus, either by filtering out more virus particles or by cinching or tightening the fit of the inner mask. That's important because when it comes to wearing masks, they must fit snugly so air does not leak in or out of the sides of the mask. When you put it on, bend the nose strap so it fits closely to your face. Different masks fit differently on different sized faces, so you need to check the fit. Look in a mirror while wearing a mask for obvious gaps. The mask should suck into the mouth when you breathe in and puff out a bit when you breathe out. If you keep having to adjust your mask on your face, there's a good chance it doesn't fit. And remember, you need to wash your hands every time you touch your mask. N95 masks are not recommended unless you're a healthcare provider treating patients with COVID where there's a high risk of aerosol transmission of the virus. There's no infection control reason to wear a mask when you're walking outdoors. Wear one if you or your friends and family have decided it's the courteous thing to do. A mask outdoors might be advisable if you're playing a contact sport with a lot of heavy exertion. Face shields are not a replacement for masks. Healthcare workers should wear one where there's a risk of getting virus particles in your eyes. For people who depend on reading lips, there are masks with a clear space over the mouth. There are also apps that turn your speech into text on a smartphone display in real time. Current guidelines by Health Canada are still adequate. However, Dr. Saxinger is following the increase in COVID variants like B117. It's possible that mask guidelines will change as the science dictates. If you have topics you'd like to hear on The Dose or questions you'd like answered, email us at thedose at cbc.ca. You can also tweet me at NightShiftMD or at CBCWhiteCoat using the hashtag TheDoseCBC. You can find The Dose and White Coat Black Art wherever you get your podcasts. Please do us a favor and rate our shows highly so more people can find us. This edition of The Dose was produced by Willow Smith and Donna Dingwall with digital support from Fabiola Carletti. Thanks to Stefano Prisco for technical support. The Dose wants you to be better informed about your health. But if you're looking for medical advice, see your healthcare provider. I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. Until your next dose. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.